guys, and welcome back to the FFP. Today, me and Rob are going to be breaking down for you six must-draft fantasy sleepers. And, of course, we want to clarify that what we mean by a must-draft sleeper is a guy who, at his current ADP, will outplay that ADP and essentially be a draft steal for you. Um, you know what, guys? People watch our channel if you're watching this. I have a feeling you're pretty smart. You know what you're talking about. So I'm going to state the obvious in, in kind of expect that you already know it, but that's that, hey, when you hit your home runs on these sleepers, that's when you're able to win your league. If you're not able to hit on these, like that's what makes the difference. So we did a lot of research on these guys. I don't know about you, Rob, but I feel really confident about my picks. How about you? Yeah, I feel good about it. Uh, before we get too much into this, you know, I think it's important to define the different types of sleepers, and there really is. There's one type I would call like the, the deep sleepers. These are guys that are off your radar. They're usually very young, often rookies, maybe first, second year players at the most. Guys that carry upside, but also bigger risk. Uh, often your marginal fantasy owner would, um, often hasn't even heard of these players. They're real dark horses, right? And then there's another type of fantasy sleeper that I would call as a fantasy sleeper based on your average draft position. And this would be a player that most people have heard of, but based on their average draft position, it's very clear to us that people are underestimating their value. And then the final thing, it's really important for you guys to understand that sleepers vary based on your type of league. If you're in a dynasty league or a keeper league, a sleeper in that league is a lot different than a redraft league. Obviously, you can throw a guy on your bench in a dynasty league and sit on him um, if he's a rookie or young or maybe, like I said, a rookie quarterback being looking for two or three years in redraft leagues. Obviously, you're considering it here and now. So once again, just important to consider different types of sleepers that we have. So, Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. What, what really defines a guy as a sleeper, we typically think of a young player, low on the depth chart, but he's got talent and he could break out. But, and I think you're going to talk about one of these guys here. I don't know which player it is for you, but I, I know you mentioned the other day. One of them's just simply that people are just not looking his way. He might not have the most upside, but man, there's a lot of safety and predictability there. And he's just simply being undervalued straight up. Does it feel like that happens sometimes? Sometimes the sleepers aren't necessarily the flashiest players out there. But uh, why don't we get right into it? And we can talk about our first sleeper now. All right, so the first player that I want to talk about is Daryl Henderson, which seems like a really unusual sleeper, and you probably think you know what I'm going to say, but there's certainly more to the story than simply volume. Of course, Cam Akers goes down and he moves into that RB1 role. Boom, right there, I think there's already a lot of value to be seen, right? He's going to get volume, and let's be honest, doesn't matter how talented you are, there's tons of talent in the NFL. It's about getting plays and getting touches, and that's something he's going to get more than a lot of other running backs in the league. This is a team that has one of, if not the best defense in the NFL, and they have a coach who has shown in Sean McVay that they can produce points and they can be a good offense. So this could very well be a run-heavy, productive, touchdown sort of position for Daryl Henderson, who, by the way, is being taken as the running back 42 or 116th overall. That is a very late pick for a guy who will likely finish as an RB2 in your scoring or in your league. So uh, let's break down some of the numbers, though, because it's not just about volume. The volume will be there, right? The Rams lose Cam Akers for a whole season. They also lost Malcolm Brown in the offseason who signed with the Dolphins. So the two other backs that were competing with him are now gone. This is really his position for the taking. So if he's got the talent, he's going to get the volume. And I'd argue that he does have the talent. Let's break down some numbers. Last season, I looked at six games that I thought were important because either Cam Akers was injured or he was coming back but wasn't fully healthy, so they limited his touches in those games. And because Akers was limited or out, Daryl Henderson saw volume. And in those games, six of those games, uh, five of those six, he was top 24 in RB scoring, and in three of those six, he was top 12. That means he was hitting as an RB1 in 50% of those games. 
I'm not going to say he's going to do that for eight straight games this season, but it shows his upside and what can happen in the right matchup, in the right situation. We also want to compare him to Cam Akers. Guys, Cam Akers was a good running back, and I was very excited about his production, but do not undervalue how good Daryl Henderson is. In fact, Daryl Henderson had more touchdowns per game, more yards per carry, more avoided tackles per attempt, more catches per game than Cam Akers, and overall, Pro Football Focus gave him a better rushing grade by 13%. I'm not here to kind of compare apples and oranges, and I think it's clear that the Rams felt Akers was the better guy. But it's not like Daryl Henderson is a bum. He was going to be one of the best sort of probably honestly would have turned into a bit of a running back by committee system. And ultimately, the thing I like most about this is that this offense is going to produce more this year. Last year, they were 22nd in points per game with Jared Goff under center. He was brutal. Upgrading to Stafford is the best thing that has happened to the fantasy value of this offense. In fact, to point out just how bad it was, I looked at a game last year where Jared Goff Jared Goff's passes averaged just 3.5 yards traveling past the line of scrimmage. Barely got the ball past the line of scrimmage. He was horrendous. He threw screens, slants, and drag routes all day long because they knew they couldn't trust him. So ultimately, what happened in that game? Well, somehow, he manages to throw for 351 yards off the backs of the insane 253 yards after catch that his receivers averaged. That was the second most yards after catch a receiving group has averaged. Sean McVay has got some great weapons in the passing game, an upgrade at quarterback, a good offensive line, and they've shown that even under a bad quarterback play, they can make it work. They're creative and they're going to produce. I have a feeling, you know, they're probably going to be top 12 in points per game this year again, or top 10 or top six like they were. And that's going to mean a lot of red zone touches for Daryl Henderson, who will be getting all of those touches. So, Rob, do you have anything to add to that? No, every time you talk about this, it's bittersweet because I have uh, Cam Akers in the Keeper League and Dynasty League. I was kind of hoping he might have a breakout year. But, uh, no, I feel confident. Uh, you look at where he's taken right now, that puts him at an RB4 for a guy yeah. that's a starting running back in the NFL. Um, obviously, that number's got to change between now and the start of the season. Absolutely, and I guess that's maybe the one benefit to a sooner draft than others, but there's a reason we wait because there's going to be more Cam Akers injuries, so kind of makes you nervous. We're in that part of the season now. Uh, but why don't we get to our next guy, Rob? We'll get you started with your first sleeper. So my first sleeper is wide receiver Nico Collins, rookie wide receiver for Houston, taking a third round out of Michigan. Now his average draft position currently is 82. Okay, that's the wide receiver. He's the 82nd wide receiver coming off the board. That's around a wide receiver 8 or 7 or 8 around that era. Basically with that saying for you and I, that this guy is probably going to go undrafted in many leagues, at least the way it currently stands. Mm-hmm. Now when we talk about sleepers, Players only have an opportunity to be a sleeper if they have opportunity, right? Like it comes down to opportunity. So let's look at opportunity and consider a few things. Now, I don't know about how you feel about this one, but here's where I think a lot of people would land right now is by looking at Houston this year, um, I see a rough year ahead for them. Even if Deshaun Watson plays, he's coming off or they're coming off a 4-12 and season. They lost a lot of good players. 2021 to me for the Texans looks like a rebuild year. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. So I see a rebuilding year, and I think that's important to remember when you're rebuilding, the younger player is going to get the touches, the looks, coaches want to know what they have and how good they're going to be. Also, look, who's he competing against for targets? Will Fuller's gone, that leaves Brandon Cooks, who, you know, is obviously the number one there, and that's okay. I mean, you expect that, and you probably wouldn't want to be the number one anyways. That's a lot of pressure for a rookie. Mm-hmm. So Brandon Cooks is going to get a lot of those targets. you got Kiki QT, who's a decent wide receiver, but he's smaller. He's got a limited ceiling, and his style plays much different than Nico Collins. They're just different, Okay. Then you have Andre Roberts. Now, if you look at Andre Roberts, who is there, he's been surprisingly productive to the last three years. He had one year of 1,000 yards receiving last year. 
991. But age 33, he's on the downside of a career. Um, and the downside of a career that, by the way, has been decent, but not great. So that's there. And then they just traded for Anthony Miller. Um, and you look at Anthony Miller, who's a guy I think um, we would say is up to this point disappointed. Came off year last year, 49 catches, 485 yards, two touchdowns. Hasn't looked good. Um, unless he begins to really step up his game a lot, I don't know if he's going to, I don't know if he holds a lot of value, if he's going to threaten a lot there for Nico Collins. But I want to pause real quickly before I get more into Nico Collins. You know, we just found about this trade yesterday, him going from Houston to Texans. What do you think that speaks most loudest to? Houston's need for a wide receiver, or does it speak more to the Bears situation? Actually, I'm going to say it's neither, and that's really weird. Um, I'll say I think the Bears are really happy with Darnell Mooney. I'm going to be talking about a Bears player later, so I will leave that for now, kind of just put a pin in it. Um, I also don't think that the Texans really needed a wide receiver. You know what they're really doing? It, it coincided with Deshaun Watson finally saying he'd probably report to camp. You think they're just trying to make him happy? I mean, let's be honest. If you're the Texans, you're still really, really doing your best to keep that guy around. I just feel like all hope is lost that he's going to you know, retire and be a career Texan. really kind of does. I don't know how long he's going to stick around, but it feels like they're just doing their best to make him happy, give him pieces. Here's a snack. Here's a treat. Just like some, you know, the kid. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah, see, for me, I feel like it speaks a lot more to the the Bears situation. I believe that this shows the confidence they have for Mooney there. I think that's huge. I think he's a guy who is a stock value just took a huge bump upwards. So uh, that's what I feel like anyways. But let's continue on. Looking at targets and opportunity. That defense last year was horrible. Gave up 29 points per game. And I don't think there's any reason to believe they're going to take a significant jump forward. They're going to finish in the bottom third of the league defensively, meaning a lot of a passing attempts because they'll be playing from behind often and give those receivers a lot of targets. That's how I feel about their defense. Would you agree with that? Bob That's third? exactly what it is. I mean, you look at their off-season moves, they did not do anything big enough to expect a massive change. And so it's going to be a lot like it was last year. Yeah, I agree. Uh, here's another reason why you should like Collins, his size. Now, size alone doesn't make a great wide receiver. It doesn't. But if you want to be a complete package in the NFL, a wide receiver anyways, you need two things, really. I mean, you need a lot of things, but two things jump out. One, speed and size. Um, it's important to have both. Well, he's got the size, six foot four, two fifteen. That's a big frame right there. Not only is he a big guy at 6'4", 215, but he can actually put a little bit of weight on there and not get too bulky and compromise speed. Once again, I love that 6'4", size. Well, and the funny thing about size is because you don't need to be a big wide receiver to succeed, but let's look at all the elite wide receivers the last few years. Devontae Adams, I even think guys like Calvin Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins, they're all bigger. I mean, they are, and that is a huge advantage. If you can be 6'4", 220 and maintain the speed, you are going to dominate cornerbacks. So the size is huge. It really is. Yeah, they talk about your catch radius, how important that is for wide receivers. You've got a great catch radius, 34-inch arms, 78-inch wingspan to go with a 37-inch vertical, a 6.783 a cone drill. shows he's quick. And at, you know, with that size, he's got a 4.42 40-yard uh, dash, which is good speed. So the guy's got a lot of things physically there going for him. Coaches went on and said we really liked his size, his speed. That was Texans coach receiver uh, Robert Prince. Uh, he plays physical. He's got a large catch radius. Something we want to add to our receiving cores. We love the traits that he had. So they're talking great about this guy. Now, that's tough because that's always coach speak, right, before mm -hmm. the season started. But still, it matters. Because, you know what, here's the thing. Coaches come out, and they always talk up their players. You can't overreact to that. But, you know, what you can look at is when you don't hear anything from them, probably an indication that, you know, yeah. that they're unhappy with them. But right now, they love this guy. Now, here's a concern for a lot of people right now. He didn't have great college numbers. But a lot of people said he's going to be a better pro than a college player. And when you look at college numbers, why were they so low? I mean, if you look at combined his sophomore and junior years, he caught 75 passes. Once again, this is combined for 1,361 yards and 13 touchdowns. Those are not great numbers. Now, he skipped his senior year because of COVID. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, why was it? Why didn't he have great numbers? Why should we expect him now coming to the pros to be better? And I think it comes right down to is Michigan's bad quarterback play. That's what it was. Pro Football Focus looked at uh, Michigan quarterback Shea Patterson, who was the quarterback while he was there as a wide receiver, and they found he had a completion percentage of 50.7. Okay, And that number ranked 58th among 65 qualifying quarterbacks. Once again, just not very good quarterback play there. I think that's specifically why he didn't have good college numbers. Well, and it's important to note that that was what his sophomore and junior season stats, not his senior year stats. And, you know, when you're that young, you're 18, you're 19, you're 20, that year makes a big difference. Look what it did for Joe Burrow. So I just put that out there again. Another thing. So I keep chiming in. No, that's all right. Finish. Yeah. So no, he's not a lottery pick, but you don't have to be a lottery pick to be a good wide receiver in the NFL and have an immediate impact. I've a couple other names of players that are drafted in third round, wide receivers who have come in and immediately had an impact and been very good. Uh, the Steelers, Chase Claypool, Washington's Terry McLaurin, who by the way I love that guy. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for this year. Or the Rams, Cooper Cup, who by the way is tremendously underrated. They're all taken in the third round. So once again, you don't have to be a lottery pick to be successful. Well, and even then. Third round could be later. Adam Thielen and Wes Welker, phenomenal wide receivers. They went undrafted. So it really is the one position, I think, where hard work and talent, it just shines through. doesn't matter your draft pick. So here's some more reports come out of camp. They've had rookie camps so far, some organized activities with the team, and some people come out. Brandon Cook said this about him. The guy doesn't look like a rookie to me. You talk about a guy who's out there that's coachable. I love to see that from a young guy. He's explosive, natural hands. Looking forward to continue to work with them to see him grow. So other wide receivers saying, hey, this guy looks like he's the real deal. He doesn't look like a rookie at all. In fact, they like the guy so much that your general manager of the Texans traded up to get him. And that's important to remember. They traded up and gave up a couple draft picks because they didn't have any draft picks in the first or second round. Their first draft picks were the third round where they took him. And so they moved up to grab this guy. Um, they went on to talk about that he's done a great job learning the offense. Um, making the transition. It's a different game from college to pro, especially for a guy who didn't play his senior year. But he's done a great job. He's in great shape. He's learned the offense. He's been impressive. He also shed some weight from his, you know, back when he played his sophomore year. He trimmed down a little bit. He also had a great college um, senior bowl there. So, so many things that are working for him. Um, they're saying the way that he plays his body, his physicality, he can box out smaller cornerbacks. Once again, we just love that. Um, now, when I look at him and where he's at as a player, um, for me, I think he's a guy that, go back to what we said at the beginning of the video, he's probably got more value as a sleeper in Dynasty or Keeper Leagues than maybe a redraft league, where he's going to maybe not get a lot of touches, maybe until maybe halfway through the season later on. But once again, I do love this guy. I think he's in a great position for a team that's rebuilding. He's a guy you could put on your bench in Dynasty Leagues, and before you know it, you could have a great player. Yeah, exactly. Love that guy, Nico Collins. Tons of talent, huge potential. This is a situation, know your sleeper. He's not just a sleeper. He's a specific type of sleeper. But let's get to our next guy. All right, next up, I want to talk about wide receiver Russell Gage. I do not understand why he is being ignored like he is. Uh, fact of the matter is, he is being taken as the wide receiver 61 or 177th overall. I don't even know how late that is. What's that, like a 13th or a 14th round pick? You could be in a 10-team league with a shallow bench, and he won't even be taken, which is crazy to me. And in the leagues where he is being taken, he's being taken as essentially a wide receiver 5 or a wide receiver 6. He's going really far down. And that just doesn't make sense to me because in my mind, he's going to finish in that wide receiver 3 range. I know that seems like a stretch to many of you, but let's break down the numbers. For one, last year, he was the wide receiver 37 in fantasy scoring. So you're already devaluing him by half of what you did last year. And I'll be honest, I don't see a reason why. Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley were both in that offense last year, and they were very productive. 
So essentially, he was the wide receiver three last year. With Julio Jones gone, he is now moves up to the wide receiver two, and we'll see an increase in volume. That being said, he didn't have a bad year last year. It's not like he finished with four or 500 yards. He actually got up there and he almost got into that thousand yard range, which is insane for a guy who is not even a wide receiver two to do. In fact, there are a lot of teams that can barely get one receiver to do that. Um, The fact of the matter is when he had opportunity, he was very productive. And of course, you know, I don't think it's at all reasonable to say that with Julio Jones gone, he's going to have more games with volume. Right, I have a feeling that he's going to see a lot of eight-plus target games. Rob, would you agree that that's very likely? Yeah. Um, maybe not all the games, but I'm going to say most of the games. And so I looked at last year because I kind of thought that was the marker, and I found six games where he saw eight or more targets. And in those games, he totaled, in those six games, he totaled 60 targets, 40 catches, 428 yards, and four TDs for a total of 108 fantasy points. You do the math on that, 108 fantasy points over six games is 18 fantasy points per game. Over a 16-game season, that's 288 fantasy points, which would have been fifth amongst wide receivers. As I've said this before with a few other guys, we're really cherry-picking stats there. That's not his season-long ceiling. He will not finish as a wide receiver one. That is a stretch. But if he can do that over a 16-game, or excuse me, over a six-game span, Moving him up into that next role on an offense that needs him to produce and will give him volume, don't you think that over a full season he can at least finish as a wide receiver three? Does that not make sense to you? Again, it's so funny. You look at it. He did have a you know a low average depth of target, yards per target, and yards per catch, but he saw 372 snaps in the slot, and that's why his catches were so high for his role. He wasn't running deep routes, but he's a dependable guy with very good hands. Again, 72 catches last year. There are a lot of receivers that we get very excited about, like A.J. Brown, who finished right around him in catches. So again, especially in PPR leagues, he, he stands out to me even more. Um, ultimately guys, plain and simple, he moves into the wide receiver two role with the quarterback and Matt Ryan, who guys, Matt Ryan's not an amazing quarterback, but he's a fantasy producing QB. And that's ultimately what matters on a team that has a bad defense. And we're not sure quite yet what we've got with the running game. He's going to get the numbers. You know, if you want to hit a home run on every pick and who doesn't, right? It's great to grab that guy later on and has a phenomenal year, breakout year, you name it. He over exceeds your expectations. But if you try to swing for the fence every time, you're gonna you're gonna strike out sometimes. Sometimes what you need to win a championship is yeah, you got some sleepers, you got some reliable guys. Sometimes you just need a safe guy like him to be your wide receiver three. So don't overlook him. He's not sexy, but man, he is solid and safe. All right, why don't we get to your next sleeper, Rob? So the next guy I'm gonna talk about is a guy that I think most of us have heard of. Goes back to what we talked about. He's a sleeper based on the fact that he's being overlooked or undervalued, and that's AJ Green, wide receiver that just left Cincinnati and now plays for the Cardinals. His average draft position is 74 wide receiver being taken. How quickly we forget. This guy's a former first-round pick, fourth overall. His first five seasons, he had over 1,000 yards receiving. He did in six of the first seven years. And the one year he did in 2016, he was having his best year. He was on pace for in 10 games. He finished with 964 yards. That would have been 1,542 yards in 16 games. 2018, he was also having a good year. He was going to on pace to finish with 1,233 receiving yards. And then he got injured the last rest of the year for nine games. 2019, his whole year was lost for injuries. So, okay, the guy's been banged up, but this year's his comeback year. Last year's going to have a huge year, rebound. Um, That's not what happened. He had 104 targets, 47 catches, 523 yards. That is not good production. That's terrible production. If you want to add anything to that. Yeah, no, I don't have anything to add particularly. We'll talk about. There was a lot of issues. The thing you got to understand is 
Joe Burrow struggled, struggled. The offensive line struggled. The, the coach, Zach Taylor, had terrible play calling. They actually had the most drops among all receiving groups in the NFL. Like, you can look at A.J. Green and see, wow, he kind of stunk last year, and he did. Um, but the Bengals kind of sucked last year, so I'm just going to go out there and say it wasn't all him. It's called a one-off, right? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the guy's done. Maybe uh, he's the reason why. Maybe he's the downside of his career, or maybe there are other factors. We said he had 104 targets and 47 catches, but his drop percentage was only 6%. It's not bad at all. At age 32, he's still young enough to have productive years. Larry Fitzgerald last year was 37 and did just fine. And I love Kyler Murray's come out and said, I expect AJ to have a big year. A lot of people are sleeping on him. Hence a sleeper pick, right? <laughs> um, he said a lot of people have said a lot of things about him, and him not being able to do it anymore, but I'm glad he's on our team. So once again, positive feedback there. Now, if you look at the three wide receivers on the Cardinals, currently got Christian Kirk, no, Hopkins, and of course, now you've got Green. Uh, Green runs the deepest routes on his average depth of target. Now, it was 14.4 yards as far as his average depth of target, right? That's very similar to deep threats like Kenny Galladay, DK Metcalf, and Tyreek Hill. So he ran a lot of deep routes. Now, I want you to look at Joe Burrow. We'll isolate this out and find out where the trouble was. So let's look at Joe Burrow and what Pro Football Focus breaks down as far as deep routes. And for them, that's any pass over 20 yards. Okay, Joe Burrow completed 43 deep balls, tied for 7th in the league. On those, he completed eight, which is tied for 26, completed eight of 43 for 18.6%. They went ahead and Justin, let's say, let's give him one more uh, completion because T. Higgins dropped it, you know, a clearly ball right in his hand. So let's just give him that and say, okay, that should have been completed. That bumps his completion percentage up to 20.9. Of the quarterbacks that attempt at least 10 deep balls, his adjusted completion percentage of 20.9 ranks him 33 out of 36 quarterbacks. That is not good. And you know who else is behind him? Dwayne Haskins. Mitch Trubinsky, and Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, two of those guys right now, not starters. And Jimmy Garoppolo, well, looks like he's on his way out of being a starter. Well, I was going to say, does this feel like three of them? They kind of just drafted his replacement. And yes. They made some moves to do that, didn't they? Yes. So, so, I mean, that tells you a little something. His passer rate of 51.5 on those throws is 32nd out of 36 quarterbacks. The ones that are behind him that are worse were the three that I mentioned already, plus Drew Locke. Okay? Need to say anything more about how Joe Burrows was last year. He was not effective. But some would argue, like, well, maybe that's not hit, you know, Burrow's fault. Maybe it's because route running. Maybe Green, the guy that's running the route, is the problem. Okay? So, it, you know, Pro Football Focus broke down his route running. And A.J. Green had 17 passes over 20 yards, and one of them was catchable. One was a ball they thought he should have caught. And you know what? He did for 22 yards. When you look at shorter routes that A.J. Green ran, he was fine. Most of his struggles went tied directly to Burrow's, that quarterback there. In fact, shorter routes, he's got a 77% catch rate. And then of that, when they broke that down to what they call not just targets, but catchable balls or, or realistically catchable balls, he caught 100% of those balls with zero drops. So I don't think the problem's him. Now, as far as wide receivers go, you're only going to be as good as your quarterback plays. We just mentioned there. Mm-hmm. Not a good quarterback last year, but he moved to the Cardinals. And you had some interesting stats about Kyler Murray um, as far as being a quarterback. We know he's a great athlete, right? Yeah, we know he's a great athlete, but he was a very productive quarterback quarterback last year uh, looking at the stats he ended up having that what torn labrum or that shoulder injury and I can't remember exactly what week that was I really should have kept that stat with me for this video but um, before that happened I believe it was like week seven or week eight so we're looking at halfway through the season where we had a half a year and I would consider you know seven eight games enough volume to know that it's a pretty legitimate indicator of a player's talent would you say that that's enough yeah. time so in that time Kyler Murray was on pace for 
45 or 44 touchdowns on the year, and he would have been the number two quarterback in fantasy scoring. Now, he definitely did a lot in his legs. There was a big portion of those touchdowns that were, but he was going to be, you know, 35, you know, he was going to be up there with 30 plus touchdowns, and he was going to be, you know, right next to Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers and all those other quarterbacks that we made a really big deal about. Now you come back, he's healthy. He's entering, you know, another year in the NFL where I think he's really going to continue maturing. Yeah, he's a great quarterback. And uh, just put it out there, like as much as I like Joe Burrow and what his career is going to look like right now, I'd rather be catching balls from Kyler Murray than Joe Burrow. Yeah, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? So I love where he's at there. One more thing to consider with A.J. Green. Last year, he only had 1.8 yards of separation. Not good, concerning for some people. Here's three things to consider with that. I think that'll be helpful. One, he'd been coming off a number of lower body injuries. Now he's another year removed, right? Another whole year of off-season workout, get in shape. I think some of that quickness and speed will come back. Here's the other thing you need to consider with separation. When he was playing for the Bengals, he saw that other team's top cornerbacks, mm-hmm. okay, the number one cornerback. And now with DeAndre Hopkins there and Christian Kirk, who, by the way, is also young and talented, Green's going to have great matchups. Oftentimes, he's going to see the second or third cornerback. It's a lot easier to get separation against the number two or three cornerback versus the team's number one guy there. He's going to have a lot of good matchups. And the other thing is the way they use his body. He's big, he's physical, he's six foot four. He's got the ability to use his body to block out the corners. He also has good hands. So separation for him is not nearly as important as it may be some other players. His average draft position is 74. So if even you grab him 20 spots earlier in the 50s, that's still only wide receiver five territory. That's very little risk, but huge upside for a guy that I think can be a great play this year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to put it out there because, Rob, I'm going to tell you right now, I think you're going to get a lot of heat for putting A.J. Green in this video. People got burned by him and they hate him. But what are you risking at his ADP? What, what are you giving up? You're giving up like your your sixth running back, a bench guy that you're probably going to drop in week one or week two. And same goes for A.J. Green. When we get this far down, I love the idea of taking a sort of like Hall of Fame talent, a guy who's been career has just been phenomenal, And you know what? It's only going to take you a week or two to know for sure whether or not it is this new team is going to fix things or not. You know what I mean? You don't need to wait, and then you can stash up and use that for something else, but you've got the upside. Yeah, and here's the thing with his name recognition. If he does go out and have a good week one, he'll fly out there quickly. It'll probably be too late because people already know the name. So Yeah, well, and that same goes for the Cardinals. He's A.J. Green. If he goes out there and has a big 50-yard catch in week one, like you think they're not going to use him? No, they're going to use him if he succeeds. So let's move on, though. I love that pick. Let's get to our next guy. So my last sleeper is Amari Rodgers, another rookie wide receiver, third-round pick for the Packers there. One, going back to opportunity. I think he's had a great opportunity. One, he's on a great team with a great quarterback. Of course, that's if Rodgers returns. And I have to admit, I think he's going to come back. But he is getting a little bit deeper and deeper into the, you know, kind of like getting close to camp here. And yeah. it's starting to look like maybe he won't be. But I still got to believe he's going to return. Uh, two after Devontae Adams, you have to go back quite a few years to find a number two solid wide receiver in that offense. Um, they've really struggled to find that complement to Devontae Adams. And I think he's in a great position to become that guy. He's 5'9", 210, and he's built like, you know, he's a slot receiver who's really got a running back body. And I think he could take his game. And last year, he took his game to another level in 2020, became Trevor Lawrence's best receiving option there. He plays hard. He's got sneaky quickness and speed that'll be really useful in that offense there. Now, I want to look at the good or bad of his situation and where he's at. Let's start with the good. Rodgers is great. The bad is lately the number two wide receivers in that offense haven't done very well. So it begs the question, is that Rodgers' target distribution or is it a matter of the fact he doesn't have solid options? That's what it's got to come down to. I think that he could translate and have production like Randall Cobb had between 2012 and 2015. And he had very good production as the team's number two wide receiver in that offense there. 
During those four years, his purse game stats, the stats he had per game over 16 games, translate out to be 5.3 catches, 85 catches, and 1,057 yards over 16 games. That was during four years there. He was very productive, number two. And I know you talked about this a couple years ago um, about guys in those positions. So um, let's continue. Until recently, okay, um, the Packers have had good production, number two wide receiver. So I think with mm-hmm. Rodgers there, I don't think the issue is Rodgers' uh, maybe unwillingness or inability to look down or look to the number two guy. I think it really comes down to a lack of production from number two wide receivers. And I think you commented on this a little bit yesterday regarding the number two position there and whatnot. But. Yeah, exactly. I think you can tell the difference between a quarterback who doesn't want to throw to his number two wide receiver and a quarterback who wants to but doesn't have a true wide receiver number two. And what's that really come down to? A lot of guys really interchanged in that role, depending on the week, depending on the situation, the time, and the game script. They had a different wide receiver out there all the time. That's not typical for the Packers. They will, you know, kind of start their studs, so to speak, and lean on their guys. That's why Devontae Adams got his volume, and even Robert Tanya when he proved himself, which is this end zone machine. The Packers and Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers want to get the ball to you over and over and over again if you can produce, but they just couldn't find a guy that could produce. So they just kept taking shots on guys and looking and didn't quite work out. But I think you're probably right to say he might be the guy to fill that role. Yeah, I think he might be. I like this guy. Now, Lazard does actually look good at times, so I might have to be patient with Amari Rodgers here. But coaches love what he's doing so far. They say he's doing a great job. He's not intimidated what we're handling him. He's a student of the game. You can see that. He's got a natural feel for the game and limited reps so far. So everything's good. He was the 13th wide receiver selected in the draft, one of the shortest, but also one of the heaviest. So he might be short, but he's not small. He's big and he's physical. He can handle slot receiver position, taking a lot of hits. Now, he dominated as a senior at Clemson. He had 77 catches, 1,020 yards, and seven touchdowns. And a lot of those catches were screens, um, some jet sweep plays like that. And that's the type of offense that's going to play really well into Matt LaFleur's hands. I think it's going to work great. He's ranked first in the nation in slot catches, second in screen catches, seventh in missed tackles, according to Pro Football Focus. According to Sports Information Solutions, he was fifth in the draft class with eight yards after the catch per reception. Okay, that, so, which is crazy, by the way. Is. Most wide receivers would be lucky to average eight yards per reception combined. Yes. So uh, there's a lot of things that are trending in the right direction for this guy. I think they might have found from the number two guy there. I do think he's a guy that probably holds a little more value in PPR leagues. You know, he's a guy that's going to probably have less yards per catch just because if you're in the slot and, you know, his average depth of throw is going to be a little bit shorter. <laughs> uh, but I like this guy. Well, and, you know, maybe the last thing that I'll say is, I don't necessarily think you're going to have to wait two, three, four seasons to see his potential come out. If he's talented, he's going to really start to show it this year, at least in the second half of the season, right? What we love with the Packers is they love their homegrown guys. They are going to stick with you, and they're going to grow you, and they're going to develop you for years, right? I mean, that's just what they're going to do. So if he does fit into this role well, you could have a keeper in a dynasty league or a keeper in a keeper league where... He is, for a phenomenal offense, if they keep Rodgers in that team and everything's going well, you could have like five, like next five years of just stud-wide receiver play. So I do love that upside in the long term. All right, guys, so I want to talk about my last sleeper here. And we originally planned to do just four sleepers apiece, but I kind of wanted to do, I guess what I would call a bonus sleeper, a guy that maybe didn't necessarily need to be in this video, but I do want to talk about it, and that is Justin Fields. Now, right now, according to his ADP, is he is the 20th quarterback off the board, going 125th overall. That's really low. And in fact, I know most of you guys, how many teams are really going to draft a bench quarterback? Ultimately, what that says is he will be a free agent come week one. So he's going on my sleeper list, but I do want to warn you, 
You should not be drafting him too early, and if you do, he should be a very late round pick. We're talking rounds 10, 11, 12, or later, um, but I, for a lot of us, I think are going to be very likely, if you're in a competitive league, you're going to have 12 teams, and all 12 teams are going to have one QB, and that's it, and he'll be in free agency for you, but you want to be ready to pick him up because I think he could have that explosive start to his season. For one, quarterbacks are succeeding more and faster in the NFL than they ever have before. Look at what Justin Herbert did last year. He wasn't even supposed to be the starter, and he exploded from week one on. It felt like he was a lock for three touchdowns every single week. So yeah, in the right situation with the right talent, it can happen. Um, that being said, I think Justin Fields is the right situation and the right talent. He has a, you know, gotten nothing but praise from his ability to play in big games, his ability to buy time and be mobile. It's great vision, awesome, big playmaking, explosive ability. There's really one knock that people have given him. I'll address that in a second. Um, but ultimately, what I love about him is the situation. They've got a run. They've got a good running game. But the running backs are also good at catching out of the backfield. And it's not Derrick Henry, right? It's not a situation where they feel like they need to run. Am I right? I feel like that's the case. Yeah. They've also got a coach in Matt Nagy who gave way too much grace to Mitchell Trubisky because he loved Trubisky's legs and his ability to run. Well, that fits the playing style of Justin Fields great, and that's going to get him on the field way more often, way sooner. And of course, we all know that mobile quarterbacks, especially young mobile quarterbacks, far more likely to produce in fantasy. Also, we talk about Allen Robinson. He is a top six fantasy wide receiver. He is a phenomenal talent. Top, you know, he's a wide receiver one. He is elite. There's no arguing it. And that is what a young guy needs. Absolutely. When a young quarterback enters the NFL and they're not quite matured yet, they need their dependable, reliable guy. That's why Keenan Allen got so many targets last year from Justin Herbert. And honestly, let's even look at a guy like Rodgers. He depended on Devontae Adams. I don't care who you are. That counts for something. But really what I like about it most was the trading of <clears throat> Anthony Miller a uh, couple, like, what is that, week ago or whatever at this point, but uh, or a few days ago. Um, I think that speaks volumes for their rookie, uh, Darnell Mooney, and I think it's great. And here's the thing. We've seen enough of Anthony Miller to know that he was an okay wide receiver, too. He had a role to play, but he was nothing spectacular, and he was not going to propel that offense into this explosive kind of high-powered offense. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. So what they did is they trade him away, which tells us something awesome. It tells us they have a lot of confidence in their young wide receiver. And I have a feeling Darnell Mooney could be better than Anthony Miller even this season from week one. We saw what uh, C.D. Lamb was able to do, and we saw what Justin Fields is able to do. Rookies are coming out of the gate, firing hot at the wideout position. He could likely have two of the best weapons in the NFL, and that seems like a bit of a stretch. But when you've seen what the best rookies have done, it's certainly possible and even if he falls short of that, he could still be good and developing. Anyways, ultimately, the reason that I wanted to talk about this was because of misquoted stats and people are misunderstanding it. And I keep seeing this thing that the big knock on Justin Fields is that he doesn't know how to run through his progression and read through a scheme. That means to look at the defense and track his option one, then option two, then option three, then option four, and go through. And people are saying, oh, he looks at his first wideout, and if that guy's not open, the play doesn't work, and he doesn't know how to find wideouts after that, which is, to me, doesn't make sense. Now, I could be wrong. I'm not an NFL coach, and I'm not Tom Brady. I'm just a guy, and you know, I'm a bit of a couch quarterback, as they say. Uh, but the stats don't lie. Is that wrong? And statistically, he has a higher attempt share, which means more passes to his non-number one wide receivers 
than Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance, Kyle Trask, Mac Jones, and plenty of other guys like Zach Wilson. So higher, more passes in which he has a better completion percentage and a higher accuracy rating. So maybe they're seeing something on film that I'm not seeing, but statistically compared to even the stud that is Trevor Lawrence that we're hearing all this news about, uh, Justin Fields has been a bit more mature in his ability to spread the ball around. I don't know if that's statistically coming down to not having as good receivers as Lawrence has had in college or what it may be, but I don't think there's necessarily any grounds to assume he's going to struggle adjusting to the NFL level. Yeah, so we uh, we always advise not to take a backup quarterback on your bench that use after a wide receiver running back. So where's that draft position? Here's a guy that you know has got a lot of upside. He's young and talented, like you mentioned earlier. A lot of rookies have come in at quarterback and now been successful. You don't have to draft this guy, but you definitely should keep an eye on him. Yeah, absolutely. So that's it. Justin Fields, consider him as a week one or week two waiver, depending on how things go. Uh, but there it is. There is six must-draft fantasy sleepers, or at least must-consider fantasy sleepers. you got to keep on your radar come draft day. As always, leave a comment down below with more sleepers that you guys think we should talk about, because I'd love to do a sleepers part two if you would like to. Um, and of course, if you guys want to. But as always, you guys have a great day, and God bless.